This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. As we discussed last episode, deforestation is happening in part because of traditional agriculture. So today on the show, we're going to dive into alternative agriculture to find out how it can actually benefit the environment. I'm Talib Vizram, and you're listening to World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. This season, we'll be looking exclusively at climate change and what's being done to try and save the world. In a shift beyond sustainable agriculture, there's also a growing movement towards regenerative farming that's rooted in indigenous practices and principles. It encourages growing food in harmony with nature and healing the land from degradation. And this isn't just something small farmers are doing. Even large companies like PepsiCo are getting on board. Compared to a linear supply chain, proponents say regenerative farming helps reclaim the soil's health. And sometimes, you don't even need soil to have a successful farm. We're going to look at two innovations in farming today, one of which doesn't involve soil to grow plants, which kind of blew my mind when I first learned about it. But right now, we're going to hear from someone who helped develop a machine that cleans up cow manure. Literally, it's so clean, you can drink it. So we said, we're going to do that. We need to ensure that we can get the nutrients and that carbon out of that water and produce a crystal clear, clean water. And we thought, where is this done in nature? What's an extremely effective method for removing solids from water? Really, it's the way Mother Nature does it, with evaporation. The same way that we make rain. Heat the water, rain comes down. Stanley Janicki is the vice president of Cedron Technologies. He said the company got its start in aerospace and marine engineering before it became involved in wastewater solutions. A few years ago, Cedron partnered with Natural Prairie Dairy, an organic dairy farm. Well, in the dairy industry, especially uh, my career, I've been in it my whole life, is really trying to, uh, how do I say it, upcycle our manure. That's Donald DeYoung. He's the co-owner and CEO of Natural Prairie Dairy. He explained that manure is a great byproduct that they need for farming, but it's always cumbersome, expensive, and messy. That's where Cedron came into the picture. The goal at a high level is if you take a manure stream, what Donald's cows produce, it contains water, it contains carbon, and it contains nutrients. We need those nutrients for crops. We need that water for crops, for livestock. We need that carbon for the soil. What we don't want, what we want to guarantee that doesn't happen is that carbon ends up in the environment as methane. We want to make sure that does not happen. Cedron developed the Varcor system that combines their own unique process with mechanical vapor recompression, which is a very efficient form of thermal evaporation that's used in condensed milk factories. Cedron combines the recompression process with the Varcor process to produce a highly concentrated nitrogen phosphorus potassium fertilizer, or NPK for short. Let's go with that. This dry powder fertilizer is what helps set Varcor apart from other processes like anaerobic digesters. So currently, 3% of worldwide energy consumption is used to produce what's known as ammoniacal nitrogen fertilizer. That's really what drove 
the agricultural revolution of the 20th century. The fact that we can feed 7 billion people today was because we invented the Haber-Bosch process. Haber-Bosch process takes natural gas, combusts it to produce ammoniacal nitrogen fertilizer. And that's really the only way it's done at scale today. But the Varkor produces a completely renewable ammonia and nitrogen fertilizer that's not impacted by fossil fuel prices and doesn't cause more greenhouse gas emissions. It's a very cool product, especially if we look in today's world where 25% of nitrogen fertilizer comes out of Russia. So if we talk about food security and these other things, it really contributes to that. Food prices are going crazy right now because of nitrogen fertilizer. Nitrogen fertilizer that's decoupled from energy prices is a very, very cool product. And just how does this NPK fertilizer ultimately help farmers and the environment? So NPK is, is nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And it's the building blocks of life, right? So that's what our plants need. And every plant needs it at different ratios. What happens when it's collected and put in lagoons and then reapplied and, and put on the fields, the way it happens now, most of the nitrogen evaporates in the form of ammonia. So you end up with an unbalanced fertilizer, so to speak, that really is high in phosphorus and you don't have enough nitrogen. So what happens today is as you're applying your manure and using it, you really cannot put enough manure down for the nitrogen needs of the plant. And if you do, you apply too much phosphorus. Now farms like de Jong's can apply the NPK fertilizer more precisely and actually in the root zone of where the plant needs it. This reduces the opportunity for runoff while also feeding the plant in the most efficacious way possible. You don't know how exciting this is. <laughs> I has been in, in farming and, and dairy all his life and say, wow, you do a mass balance of what we're doing between human and, and animal agriculture. And you start saying, hey, we're, we don't need to be importing any nitrogen fertilizer. We got enough here. And you start putting that story together and you say, and it's all economical. You go, this is really cool. It's going to happen. When we come back, I'll talk with someone who set out to decentralize farming and create radically localized supply chains. But first, a quick break. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Some alternative agriculture methods include urban farming, greenhouse growing, and hydroponic farming. And the place we found does all three. For people living in an urban environment, coming into contact with farms doesn't happen very often, but we found a close equivalent to one in New York City. We trekked out to our first in-person interview since the pandemic started to visit a rooftop greenhouse in Jamaica, Queens. There, I spoke with Gotham Green's co-founder and CEO, Viraj Puri, about how and why he started the hydroponic farm. So we are standing in a 60,000 square foot state-of-the-art uh, greenhouse in Queens, New York. And this is a completely climate-controlled facility which enables us to grow crops year-round. So 365 days of the year, regardless of the outdoor weather conditions. So middle of winter, middle of summer, we're able to create these very reliable and consistent crop yields. So unlike sort of uh, more conventional outdoor farming that's so reliant on uh, the outdoor weather, we can grow um, year-round. Yeah, so it's a uh, a completely climate-controlled facility, as I mentioned. So we have sensors located all over the facility, tracking temperature, humidity, light level, uh, carbon dioxide, a whole bunch of different variables. 
and we have a sophisticated computer control system that essentially manages that entire climate in here. And it, it'll turn different pieces of equipment um, on and off to achieve the desired conditions we want. So cooling systems, lighting systems, heating systems, etc. Humidification, dehumidification. So these are very happy, healthy, coddled plants. And uh, at Gotham Greens, we focus um, primarily on leafy greens. So we're a company that really focuses on leafy greens, lettuces, fresh herbs. And then we also produce um, other consumer product goods like uh, salad dressings and sauces and cook, uh, pestos and, and things like that. But really, um, we operate a network of these facilities now around the country and it enables us to um, deliver this farm fresh produce to some of our cities uh, across the country. You're obviously keeping conditions at, at such a, an optimal temperature. The, the first thing I notice is it's, it's really warm in here. Um, I was like, should I wear a long sleeve shirt today? But I think I went with the right, the right option. So you, you, you kind of keep everything kind of just perfect for these greens. Exactly. And that's the idea. Because if you can create the optimal growing conditions for the crops and they grow, they tend to be much healthier. They tend to have better nutrition. Uh, it's better to manage against pests. Uh, they have um, um, a, a denser sort of um, physiology, which enables longer shelf life and, and things of that nature. And uh, they grow much quicker compared to conventional field farming. So we can grow a full head of lettuce in about approximately 30 days. While out in the field, it would take about 60 days to grow that. Um, so we can grow it in about half the time. And because we're in this highly automated uh, facility, we can really change the density of the crops over the course of their life cycle. So in other words, this farm is about an acre and a half. So it's about 60,000 square feet. Yet we can produce the same yields as approximately a 30-acre farm. So that gives you the productivity from a relatively small footprint. And no soil. You mentioned this kind of shattered everything I've ever known about farming. But uh, there's no soil, right? There's, what, 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 is, uh, what are they growing in? Yeah, that's correct. This is a completely soilless facility. So we employ a method of farming known as hydroponics. It comes from the Greek word water working. So it's a water-based form of agriculture uh, where we dissolve nutrients, a carefully calibrated blend of crop nutrients into the irrigation water itself. And so that provides the water, the oxygen, as well as the nutrients to the crop. So we use different types of substrate materials as a soil substitute just to hold the seed in place, uh, to hold the roots in place and allow for healthy germination. And we either use um, something called peat moss or we use something called rock wool, um, different types of substrates. But yes, essentially what a plant needs to grow, most importantly, is light. And we deliver sunlight uh, to the crops for photosynthesis. They require carbon dioxide, oxygen, water, and nutrients. And this form of hydroponics is, is really well suited to urban farming, where we don't have a lot of arable land, we, we don't have healthy soil. But there's a real misconception that one needs soil to grow. Actually, yeah. is, uh, this proves that you can really grow food anywhere, regardless of the geography. So hydroponic farming doesn't require soil, but it does require water, nutrients, and a certain type of climate. I asked Puri how energy intensive it was to maintain the greenhouse. It's actually not very energy intensive. Energy is not one of our larger costs uh, to run this business. And it's really a function of this design of this building. So this is a glass and steel structure. So we rely on natural sunlight to grow the crops. We um, have a lot of passive ventilation, uh, cooling and heating systems so that we can really minimize our overall energy usage. And, and really that's what this business is all about. The core of this business is environmental sustainability. You know, agriculture is the, the leading um, consumer of land on this planet. It's the leading consumer of fresh water. 
It's the leading cause of global water pollution. And, in, and as an overall sector, is responsible for about 30% of global carbon emissions. Um, and if you include um, livestock, you've got issues like uh, methane uh, and things like that. So just as an overall sector, uh, we need to find more technological solutions and supply chain solutions to reduce our overall energy footprint. And while greenhouses are certainly not a, a silver bullet, we do believe it's one form uh, of farming and a technological approach that can really reduce overall energy use. And I think it all comes down to the design of the facility and how we run this thing as efficiently as possible. And by growing the food in such close proximity to the market, we can really cut down on long-distance uh, transportation. So all the diesel fuel that goes into shipping fresh produce, which has to be refrigerated um, across long distances and all the associated emissions. And the other issue is we really focus on highly perishable vegetable commodities that often have a very short shelf life. We're talking about a week or two. It's estimated that approximately 50% of the fruits and vegetables that are grown and produced in this country are discarded. And many of that um, decomposes in landfills and releases methane gas, which is a very potent heat-trapping gas. So by growing food more locally with a longer shelf life, we're directly contributing to a much reduced food waste problem. Once you look at the overall picture here, we believe this form of farming is going to play a really strong role uh, in, in a more environmentally and carbon-efficient future. When we went on a tour of the greenhouse, I asked Puri what the difference is between vertical and horizontal farming and how he would classify Gotham Greens. He said they're both controlled environment agriculture, but the key distinction between vertical and horizontal farming is the use of sunlight to grow the crops. Vertical farming requires artificial lighting on every single layer, which usually results in much higher electricity costs. So it's a much more carbon intensive form of farming from an upfront cost and operating cost point of view. But Puri said there have been great strides in LED lighting, which is much more efficient. Ultimately, he believes greenhouse farming provides the best return on investment and bang for its buck at this stage. But he's rooting for vertical farming too. So what are we looking at here? So this is a butter lettuce. This is one of our best-selling varieties. It's a very uh, sort of tender, um, sweet-tasting lettuce. And um, it's something that grows beautifully in a greenhouse and is uh, one of our best-selling products. And here on this side, you see different types of uh, romaine lettuce uh, growing. This is a sort of a more crunchy type of variety. It's a customer favorite, often used in Caesar salads and things like that. And, you know, one thing that we really pride ourselves on is the uniformity of the crop, really how consistent it uh, it grows and how literally each plant almost looks identical. And and it takes a lot of work to be able to do that. It takes uh, a really strong understanding of plant physiology, uh, of engineering. And that's really what this technique is. It's really a combination of horticultural techniques and engineering techniques to really optimize plant growth and the conditions. You must have engineers and food scientists and all kinds of people on your, on your team over here. Yes, we have an incredibly diverse uh, team at Gotham Green. So it's plant scientists, it's uh, mechanical engineers, food scientists, food safety experts. It's a vertically integrated business. So we're also doing all the sales. We're doing the marketing, the transportation, the logistics, uh, of course, uh, functions like finance and accounting as well. So, and that's what makes this business model very unique is that we're able to grow the product, harvest it and deliver it same day 365 days of the year, as compared to a very disintermediated supply chain, uh, typically, which is really what we're trying to disrupt and what makes this a very compelling food supply solution, not just for the United States, but many parts of the world. 
And then, now, are, are you selling these uh, vegetables under your brand name only? Is that how it works? That's correct. All, everything that we produce is sold under the, uh, the Gotham Greens brand, um, in, mostly to supermarkets. Our products are now available in an, over 3,000 supermarkets across the United States. I live near um, a Whole Foods in, in uh, Gowanus in Brooklyn, where you have a farm on top of the shop. That's right. Yes. Uh, we, we built a greenhouse on top of Whole Foods in 2013. And it was a really um, exciting project that really symbolized this idea of local regionalized farming. It was very symbolic that we could actually grow food on top of the point of, of sale. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's a 20,000 square foot greenhouse that until today um, serves as a real um, sort of beacon of, for urban farming globally. It's a really iconic project in the sector of uh, uh, indoor and urban farming. So now as we're moving, I've noticed that the, the crops are getting bigger. Yes. What you're seeing here is much larger uh, crops. These are um, much older and they're ready to be harvested. Do the crops here need different conditions than they do when they're infants? Yes. When the plants are young, we yeah. give them different conditions. And when they're older, they get different conditions. So they're not unlike uh, humans. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier that we can smell the aromatics. Do you think we can go and take a look at the, at the herbs? Yes. Let's, let's go to the, uh, the herb greenhouse. Great. All right. So now we're in the thick of the, the basil aroma. That's right. This is uh, our fresh basil. It's one of our best-selling products. And, you know, basil is a highly perishable herb. It, it doesn't last a long time. And most of the basil that's consumed in New York has to be, prior to Gotham Greens, had to be flown in often thousands of miles away uh, to reach consumers. And it wouldn't really last very long. So this is, a, this is a locally grown solution that we can provide our supermarket partners and restaurants uh, year-round. So you're selling herbs, you're selling greens. I, I was on your website and I, I saw a product called Ugly Greens. What are the ugly greens? Right. So despite the perfect looking lettuce that you see in this facility, sometimes we get some slightly bruised, slightly blemished leaves. And so rather than discard them or compost them, we actually put them in a package and sell them uh, for a discount. And it's just a way to shed some light on this enormous issue of food waste. It's estimated that approximately 50% of the fruits and vegetables that we grow and consume in the U.S. are actually thrown away and discarded. So by actually selling a product that's slightly bruised, we can sort of shed a little bit of light on this issue and encourage consumers not to throw food away just because if it's a little bit blemished. Yeah, I, I guess there's a trend. We see those delivery boxes now sending us kind of crooked potatoes and that's you know. exactly right. <laughs> There's such a great movement, uh, and more and more consumers are gaining awareness of these issues, which is fantastic. Now, where is the water coming from? How are they being watered? Yeah, so we have this proprietary nutrient uh, delivery system. So we drip irrigate all the crops with this proprietary blend of nutrients. A thin film of water and nutrients are delivered to the roots, and then we collect all the irrigation water for reuse. Puri explained that the greenhouse is essentially recycling 100% of the irrigation water 365 days of the year. So they can grow a full head of lettuce using just a couple gallons of water compared to the open field where it requires almost 40 gallons of water to grow a single head of lettuce. And as water becomes a more scarce resource, particularly in so many of our um, you know, crop growing regions, we believe that this, is, this form of farming is going to become much more prevalent in many parts of the world. So do you use pesticides? So what's amazing about this form of farming is, is that all of these products are free of harmful chemical pesticides. Now, one is because we're in this greenhouse. It's a very secure, controlled, um, sort of sealed off environment. That being said, in order to be proactive, we actually introduce 
predator insects in this greenhouse, right? So these are also known as beneficial insects. So these are carefully bred insects that would prey on any sort of bad insects that would make their way into this facility. So we work with the lab in the Midwest, and they breed these uh, bugs for us that we introduce into the facilities. And and the, uh, we also don't use any harmful um, herbicides because there aren't any, right, uh, by, by growing in this highly controlled environment. So all these products are free of any harmful chemicals, which is fantastic. So I'm seeing signs saying bug scan. Is that a... Uh to prevent any kind of outbreaks or anything like that? It's really just to monitor. It's to scan, right? So we want to be able to look at these bug scans to see, is there anything nefarious in here? Are there any sort of bad insects that are making their way in here? Okay, very cool. What are the labor opportunities in in urban farming? You You know, I guess it's this cliche now about teaching coal miners how to code and that kind of thing. What are the opportunities for traditional farmers to go into urban farming? Right. It's urban farming, but also innovative farming, right? So, you know, those terms are often used synonymously. And I think it's really important for traditional farmers and entrepreneurs, plant scientists, city planners to really use technology and technological innovation um, uh, to produce more crops using fewer resources and to be able to produce crops in places that previously people wouldn't think of as being um, areas in which one could farm. And as our nation's food supply is under some strain, as COVID-19 clearly uh, demonstrated that we're so reliant on these very lengthy, complex supply chains to get food from farm to market, uh, we believe more innovative forms of farming are going to play a much greater role in a much more resilient uh, food supply chain. So I think this is an opportunity for young people increasingly are drawn to farming. Farming traditionally is an aging industry, right, where... Uh, but, but now we're seeing more and more youngsters getting into this field. A lot of people are drawn to the technological innovation. Others are uh, drawn to the sustainability um, aspects of it. Um, agriculture is such an enormous consumer of natural resources that in order to feed more mouths, we're going to have to become more resource efficient. And that resource efficiency appeals to a lot of people these days. Absolutely. Well, Viraj, thank you so much for having us. It was so nice to to tour this space. And and since you guys are popping up all over the country, maybe we'll see you around again. Anytime. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming. In addition to New York, Gotham Greens has opened more locations in Colorado, Illinois, Maryland, and Rhode Island. For those of our listeners who are interested in becoming more involved in regenerative agriculture on your own, we've shared some links in our show notes for more information on that and also on things like permaculture. That's all for our show today. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to World Changing Ideas wherever you find your podcasts. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Avery Miles. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Editorial oversight from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Meebus.